0: You are listening to the great light podcast this podcast is a production of great light studios for more information and resources or to watch our films go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on facebook or youtube if you would like to support the ministry of great light studios you can do so easily and securely through our website there you can also find both video and audio versions of the podcast
1: The next place in scripture I wanna go is Lamentations 3. And this should be helpful for those of you, again, who are fearing the unforgivable sin. This is a passage or, or a book, Lamentations, that, that um, it, it's maybe not talked about a ton as far as books of the Bible go. And so maybe you haven't heard these scriptures, but if you're somebody who trembles at the word of God, then I think you should find great comfort in some of the things that are said here. So to, to set the context for this, this is written, uh, I think believed to be written by Jeremiah the prophet. And it, it's all it all involves like the, the time of Israel having rebelled over and over, rejected, disobeyed God, and they are sent into judgment. Um, they're sent into captivity. And and so this is all in the context of sin and failure. Um great sin and failure, rebellion against God. And so so many people dealing with the fear of the unforgivable sin, this applies to you because you are, I think can be likened to Israel who has rebelled, who has sinned. I think there is real judgment. there are real consequences for sin and, and in all these videos, I'm not trying to convey that that our sin doesn't matter. there aren't any consequences. But, but what I am, you know, the primary purpose so far that, and I think the primary purpose that continues to be, is to inspire, hopefully, some biblical hope in those of you who, who, even if, yes, maybe you have come under some form of judgment from God. Like, I'm not saying you maybe haven't, or maybe that's not what you are in. But even if that's so, I think what Lamentations 3 tells us is that you're still not without hope. Because Israel here, the whole context again, is that they are in this situation I'm about to describe for you, that Lamentations is about to describe for you. They're in this situation due to their sin, their rebellion, their blasphemies, I think you could even say. So I'm going to read here. Um, I've kind of cut it up into certain sections because it's it's kind of a long chapter um, but you can go read the whole thing in its entirety if you want. So I'm going to read here verses 1 through 9 and 17 through 18. And just to kind of get you, this is something that I think you you in this really, if you're in this dark place, if, if you've really been captured by this fear of the unforgivable sin, then this will probably really resonate with you. So starting in verse 1, I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. So he's brought me into darkness, driven me into darkness without any light. Against me, he turns his hand. So this person, Jeremiah, I think who's speaking as Israel, he's he's kind of expressing the experience, I think, of Israel, God's people, against me. God had turned against them in his judgment. It says, uh, he made my flesh and my skin waste away. He's broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. And he has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He has made my paths crooked. Does that sound familiar or resonate with anybody? I think there's people that, that that description will really resonate with. Though I call and cry for help, seems as if he's shutting out your prayer. He's blocked your ways with blocks of stones. He's walled you about so that you cannot escape. You're in this impossible situation and you feel like it's God is the one who's put you there. And in this context, maybe he has. Maybe he has. Um, but I think what comes after this is, 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 is hope. So he goes on, he says, my soul is bereft of peace. Basically, I have no peace. And I have forgotten what happiness is. So I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. His endurance has perished. He he doesn't have any strength, he feels like, to keep going. And his hope from the Lord. He feels like he has no hope. He, he, all these emotions and feelings of condemnation, God's wrath. God's not answering his prayers. God's ignoring him. He's forgotten what happiness is. He has no peace. He's... His life is over. His chances of salvation are over. Again, he says his hope, his hope in the Lord, he feels like is gone. So this this is the condemnation, the the fear, the desperation, the darkness that that people might experience as a result of sin. This this again, all of this is a result of sin. It's a result of unbelief and rebellion. And so sin does have consequences. Um, And sometimes I think that even in the New Testament, it teaches that there is judgment. Um, I think it's in Peter that says that the Lord will judge his people, or maybe that's in Hebrews, but it's in there somewhere. So there is, there's judgment, there's discipline. Now, I think the thing that we're about to see is that God's judgment on his people is always redemptive. It has redemptive purposes. So verses 21 and 33, again, this is in Lamentations chapter 3. He says, the one who is in this dark, dark place, after expressing and explaining how horrible he feels, how horrible a situation is, he says this, but, but this I call to mind. Now this, this here, this but, this is where his faith is coming in. So this is this is the I think you could say um, we walk by faith and not by sight, right? So this is what he sees with his eyes. This is what the um, the evidence tells him about his situation that is hopeless. There is no hope. He says his hope has perished. Again, this is what he. Sees, but here I think in verses twenty-one through thirty-three, what's happened is he's. He, he, this is this is what happens with all of us. He's going. He he's drawing from faith. He's he's saying this. I see all this, but and I think this but here as he kind of shifts direction is an expression of what uh, Paul says when he says we walk by faith and not by sight. So this, the, the first several verses we just read, that is what he sees. This is often what we see. And it's an act of faith to see all that evidence and still say by faith these things that he's about to say. So he says, but this I call to mind, And therefore, I have hope. So faith, remember in the New Testament, it says faith, hope, and love. These three, Paul says, are the most important things. So faith, as he starts to produce or starts to, to move in the direction of faith, what it does is it produces hope. Faith in God's promises will produce hope. Faith in who God is will produce hope. So, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Get this word. <laughs> never. Are you in and what you feel like, as we've talked about in, other, uh, in the past, impossible, You feel like you're in an impossible situation that can never change. Well, the Lord's love never ceases. It never ends. His mercies never come to an end. They never come to an end for you. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So these are the things that by faith, this person starts to call to mind. He starts to call to mind the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases. He starts to call to mind the mercies of God that never end. and, And he believes and knows that God's faithfulness, he says, great is your faithfulness. God's faithfulness is great. And we can believe that God's faithfulness, his mercies will be new every morning. So is your sin, your failure? Do you feel like it's unique? And do you feel like it's specifically because of what it is, what it looks like? Do you feel like it's unique in such a way that it locks you up into condemnation? Well, God has new kinds of mercies for, uh, for unique sins. God has new kinds of mercies for you every morning. Then he says, the Lord, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So why is he going to hope in God? Well, because he remembers and believes that the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the humble and contrite in spirit, to those who tremble at God's word and look to him and say, show me what to do. What do I need to do to be made right with you? Show me the way, show me the truth. Redeem me from this situation. And you wait for him you don't say okay this isn't worth it i'm just uh, you know whether whether you're thinking what would really solve my problems right now is just to go and indulge in sin you know let me just uh, this situation is hopeless anyway so i'm just going to indulge in sin or or you're just thinking that um you know you're just going to sit and embrace condemnation all the time you're going to say my sin is so powerful, it's so great that it overrides, it overrules all these verses about the love of God, the steadfast mercies of God that are new every morning. I think that's a form of just embracing unbelief. You're, you, you know, So don't give up in that way. Don't just stop and say, there's no point. There's no hope. And so I'm not gonna press toward faith in God. Come to that point where yes, you're seeing all the, the junk around you, the, the, the sin, the, the, the evidence that you might be seeing around you, but get to that point where you say, yes, that's all true, but, but this I call to mind. And then choose by faith to call to mind the fact, the biblical truth of God's character, the steadfast love of the Lord that never ceases, whose mercies never come to an end, call to mind that the Lord is good to those who wait for him and then wait for him. Just wait for him. Stay with him. Look to him. Say, I'm with you and and I'm with you until you lead me out of this situation. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. It's either true or it's not. This is either God's word or it's not. I think it is. And so I think this is true to the soul who seeks him. So he's good for the one who waits for him and for the soul who seeks him. So as you might might be trembling at the word of God in your soul, your soul is trembling, your emotions with fear about who God is, what he's capable of, and his holiness, his righteousness, his justice. Turn that to, to letting your soul seek him and his goodness. Don't stay in that place of just terror And fear that causes you to run away from God and hide, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did in the beginning. They sinned, and then they went and hid, and they tried to cover themselves up. We don't have to do that because of Jesus. So rather than that, let your soul seek him. When you feel that fear and condemnation, let that push your soul to seek the truth of his love and mercy. Then he says, it is good that one should wait Wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in sil- silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. Um, we're going to get to that in a minute. This is a very important, I think, truth here that's being talked about. That, that I'm going to get into here in a minute. Um, But but he goes on. He says, "For the Lord will not cast off forever. He will not cast off forever." Again, that's either true or it's not. Do you feel cast off by the Lord right now? Wherever you're at, do you feel like he's cast you off? Like he said, "I'm I'm done with you. You've because of what you've done. It's too late." Sorry, you know. And do you feel that? Well, this is telling you he's not going to cast off forever. Yes seemingly the Lord does cast off. Again, there are consequences to sin. There are judgments. There are disciplines. Um, I think even for believers, you know, you see in 1 Corinthians, him saying, hand this man over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, It's 1 Corinthians 5, 5, I think. But then he says, so that, why, why is he doing this? Why is this act of judgment happening? He says, so that his spirit may be saved. So, Yes, there is judgment, but it's, I think it's redemptive. It seems like it's always for redemptive purposes. God's hope is always that what his judgment will do, what the severity of the consequences will do, will cause that person to become sensible to his sin, aware of it, acknowledge it, and and just to produce a humility in that person to say, oh, this this isn't okay. It's not okay that I live this way. God help me. You know, I think that's, that's what he wanted out of the man in 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. That man was obstinately just refusing to repent. He wouldn't repent of his sin. I think he was being called out for it, and, and he was just continuing in it. What God wants to do is to get us out of that, Any if we're in that place of pride, that's the dangerous spot if you just choose to stay in that, an obstinate rebellion, saying, I'm going my way, um, but I, th- I think that can look like just a, a, a continued embracing of condemnation, saying, no, I'm only going to believe in, in this condemnation I'm feeling. I'm, I'm only going to believe that, that, you know, my situation is hopeless. Uh, it's impossible. Um, don't let that become an act of of unbelief where you're you're putting more faith and trust in the power of your sin and in the power of your condemnation than you are putting in the power of Jesus' blood. So the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance. I can't remember if it's in this video or last, but we talked about the, the scripture that talks about how with the Lord there is abundant redemption. I think it's in one of the Psalms. It says, with the Lord there is abundant redemption and he redeems, he will redeem his people from all of their iniquities. So with the Lord, there's abundant redemption. It's Hebrews that says, he, Jesus, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. So God will have compassion, even if you've been cast off, even if you're in a dark circumstance because of your sin, God will have compassion according to the abundance, abundance, there's more than enough is what that means. There's more than enough of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. That's, and again, something we should all stop and, and let that soak in. And this is another way, I think, of saying God does not delight from Ezekiel. God doesn't delight in the death of the wicked, but that they would turn and be saved. God doesn't willingly afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. God doesn't get kicks out of the judgments that I think he does even enact, uh, the punishments. It's, it's not like, I, I think I said uh, before, it's, it's not like a, a, a favorite hobby of God to just zap sinners and to get people back for what they've done. He doesn't really enjoy that. What he longs for is restoration. What he longs for and, will, and, and goes to any lengths for um, is restoration, reconciliation with people. And he's provided all of that and his son. So even though this verses one through nine, the 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 part where he's expressing the darkness he's in, even though that's maybe where you're in, what you're feeling, and maybe it's even a result of sin in your life. I don't know. Maybe it is. I'm not saying it's not. Um, but even if it is, you can, by faith, choose to move from verses one through nine and 17 through 18 and move into a uh, the faith of verses 21 through 33. That's something that God's not going to force you to do. Nobody else can force you to do that. That's something that you have to make a decision to do. And I think that's all God would want from me. That's all God wants from any of us is that faith that believes in spite of everything that is going on around us, believes in spite of the storms that might be raging around us, whatever those storms are. What God wants is people who by faith move from verses one through nine into a place of faith of verses 21 through 33. But this I call to mind. And then you call to mind and and you you let the the things you call to mind about the character, the goodness of God, silence out uh, everything else that you're feeling and hearing that's uh, seemingly condemning you. So, Just to kind of summarize thoughts from Lamentations three, there are, again, there are real consequences for our sin. Um, Hebrews, it says, God will judge his people. We should not and cannot take sin lightly. There are consequences for it. Um, But I think God's judgments on us, his disciplines, his judgments, however you want to word them, are always uh, redemptive. You see that pattern in the history of Israel they, they're constantly, they're f- just like flopping around like fish all throughout the Old Testament, like spiritually. It's like, you know, they're, they're, they're okay for a, a little bit, serving God, and then they just very quickly flop into rebellion and sin. And, and it's just that all the way through the Old Testament. But um, God, you know, as a result of their sin, when it gets to a certain extent, when the sin gets to a certain degree, they are sent into judgment. And that happens multiple times in the Old Testament. And then it happened in 70 AD, you know, Jesus predicted that, that the Israel rejected their Messiah and, and they were sent into, um, you know, the, the time of 70 AD when, when Jerusalem was destroyed. Um, but even with that, the, the judgments of God that came then go to places like, uh, Romans, um, it's Romans 12, the, the last several handful of chapters. And, and you see this story, this principle kind of being laid out by Paul of, of that the ultimate plan is redemption. And there's a scripture that says God's bound all men. He's given all, all over to disobedience so that he can have mercy on all. So the pattern, I think, of God's judgments, I think what we see in scripture is that they're redemptive in their purpose. Again, that's 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. We see an example of this where Paul says, hand him over, speaking of the man who is in sin sleeping with his father's wife. That was his sin. And he wasn't repenting of it and so paul said hand him over to satan for the destruction of the flesh and why so his spirit may be saved so redemptive so that's harsh and intense you know it's saying hand him over to satan but the purpose of it the goal in mind of Paul, inspired by the Spirit of God, is, is that this man's life would be redeemed, that he would become humble and contrite, acknowledge his sin, and do what he needed to do to uh, become restored in his relationship with God. Proverbs 3.12, my son do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. So throughout Israel's history, God is constantly reproving them as a son. Him sending them into judgment, I think, is a picture of uh, God giving this massive spiritual spanking uh, to Israel and, and correcting them. The, the goal is to correct them. The goal is that they would not continue in their unbelief, um, but that they would believe again, and, and as Paul says in Romans, end you know, of Romans, that they would be grafted back in uh, to the vine, which is Christ. Third point from Lamentations 3, Jeremiah knows there is hope, even though his judgment, even though this judgment, the judgment that, again, I think Jeremiah is speaking in the place of Israel, um, this judgment as a result of, of their sin, but he still knows by faith that there's still hope. So the last thing, and, and I want to, this is what I said I was going to touch on really quick. So he makes this comment here. He says, filled with insults. but He says, let him give his cheek to the one who strikes. Let him be filled with insults. So I, what does this mean for us? How does this apply to us? I think there's application in that. There's a few verses after that section that follow in Lamentations 3 Then I'm going to read. And, and what I'm going to get at is that I think, again, relating to this topic of the unforgivable sin, we cannot be, you cannot be unaware of Satan's schemes. You cannot minimize the involvement of the devil in the midst of this, okay? You're feeling and you're hearing and you're experiencing many things. I think for many of you, I'm not somebody who like says the devil is behind every corner bush or however that phrase goes. But but I think he's real and, and I think he's involved. And I think he knows how to manipulate our thinking to, to shoot fiery darts of thoughts, ideas. Um, Second Corinthians talks about imaginations and opinions and arguments that exalt themselves over the knowledge of God. And if you want to know what this fear of the unpardonable sin, why people get so wrapped up and enslaved and chained into it, if you want to know ultimately a simple answer why it's because of that that verse I just referenced Second Corinthians it talks about strongholds that exalt themselves over the true knowledge of God I think this um, wrong ideas wrong thinking about God that might even have elements of truth in it become this this stronghold where truth cannot penetrate in um, where you have these the stronghold of you know God is angry God is only interested in retribution punishing me for my sins. I've gone too far. This is impossible. What, whatever it is, that way of thinking becomes a stronghold that, that in your mind takes a place of authority over a true knowledge of God, a true knowledge of who He is. These things we've been talking about, that God is merciful and patient. His mercies are new every morning. His love endures forever. Things like that. That the, the, these things about God that again, mercy triumphs over judgment. But I think at the end of the day, it's these strongholds that get in people's minds through, I think, even involvement of Satan and spiritual forces of wickedness that um, cause people's minds to agree with these wrong ideas about God. And it's these strongholds that need to be torn down. And hopefully that's what we're doing to a degree. Sometimes that takes a long time and you're you're just having to go brick by brick by brick to change the way you think. But that's what this all comes down to. This all comes down to how you think about God when you're thinking about him. Many of you, many of us have strongholds to where when the truth of God tries to come in and affect our lives, there's these wrong ways of thinking, these thinking patterns, you could say that have gotten so strong, taking up such a preeminent place in our minds that the truth has a very difficult time coming in. And so what has to happen, I think, is that you have to take the truth and you have to begin to dismantle those um, strongholds. I think sometimes the truth just comes in and it demolishes them all at once. Sometimes it doesn't work that way and it's a more slow process. But again, I think if you will wait on the Lord, continue to seek him, continue to knock that is what he wants to do and will do for, for any of us. So this, this is the last thing I want to touch on with Lamentations 3. Uh, I just want to pull out of here some things that I think, again, you should relate to. I think this is somewhat what is going on. In your situation, that has to do with Satan. So remember in Ephesians chapter six, when it talks about the armor of God, Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the principalities, the powers and the the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, things like that. Um, When we see in the Old Testament, places like this, you're seeing Jeremiah, Israel had these physical, enemies, these flesh and blood enemies that were in in the middle of their judgment as a result of their sin. They were coming, accusing, basically kicking them while they were down, driving in that stake of condemnation even further. And that's exactly what Satan will do in this time, in times when we're feeling the weight of our sin. He comes along and, and he, again, he kicks us while we're down. So our struggle is not against flesh and blood. We look in the Old Testament and we see like, like David and the Psalms and, and other people dealing with these physical enemies. And, and to me, um, I, th- I think that to us serves as an illustration or a representation of the spiritual uh, war that we are in. When you see David talking about these enemies that want like these, they were like lions. He says, my enemies are like lions lurking, wanting to devour me. They're seeking to devour me um, with, with their words. You know, they're, they're shooting arrows at me, the, the words of their tongues. You know, they're shooting these like like fiery arrows is what it talks about in the Psalms. Does that sound familiar? I mean, it's Ephesians 6 where, where he says, um, hold up the shield of faith with which you will uh, extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. I I think it's fair to say that Paul was drawing from some of those um, uh, some of that language David used in the Psalms when he talked about his physical enemies and these were real physical people he was talking about. But Paul was aware that those scriptures that were written beforehand were were actually able to be understood in a way where we can apply them in many cases to the spiritual battle that we're in. Um, now I think you can take all that too far, and you want you want to be careful. How you um, handle the Bible, but I think um, I think that's what Paul is doing in Ephesians six. And again, when you hear David talking about you know my enemies are like lions lurking in the thickets, just waiting to to devour me, things like that. Well, first Peter, it seems like Peter really drew from that when he says, um, "Be sober, be alert, because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour." And so David using the analogy of lions to represent his enemies. Um, Peter does that, and and it seems like Paul and Peter both draw from that allusion to to, uh, teach us about this spiritual war that we are in. So all that to say, with this topic of the unpardonable, the unforgivable sin, there is that warfare going on. We have enemies that are out to devour us and shooting flaming arrows of lies. They're communicating things, trying to shoot these flaming darts that, will stick into our minds, these thoughts about God, these thoughts about, you know, these thoughts of hopelessness, these thoughts of despair, um, these thoughts of impossibility, whatever it is, that these these are flaming darts that they want to shoot into our minds, that, that they will stick there and destroy our faith. So listen to this. This is, again, a continuation of Lamentations 3, where Jeremiah, speaking again, I think, In the place of Israel, he goes from this description of the darkness that he's in, then he moves into a place of faith saying, but I will call this to mind. But then he moves back into this more of a despairing place, which I I think we should all relate to, because this is kind of how we all are in our faith. Like we were, even throughout the day, we might have these these good moments, we're believing, and then it's like the the fear and the thoughts kind of grip us again, and we kind of have to just keep going back to faith. We have to keep believing. Uh, It's like the journey song, don't stop believing. Um, so verses 55 through 63, he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. Then he says, you came near when I call on you. You said, do not fear. And I think for, for you guys fearing the unpardonable sin, in terror, trembling at the word of God, what God would want to say to you is what he said here, what he said in the the storm to the disciples, do not fear, do not be afraid. I know this looks terrible, but I'm with you and I'm going to work this out. So then he says, you have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen, and here here it is, this is the, the spiritual warfare part, I think. He says, you have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord, judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts. O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and the thoughts of my assailants are against me all day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. So what I see here is, this is a snake, by the way. Let's put a little tongue on him. There we go. And an eyeball. Perfect. Okay. So what I see here in this passage, what I think we can learn from this, the application that we can put on this is that this is uh, Satan, but not just Satan, but the spirit, uh, spiritual forces, let's just put um, of darkness. And their goal is to taunt you to plot against you, to speak with their lips and to communicate thoughts of condemnation and fear, to assail, you all day long this is satan's goal this is what he does he is the adversary i believe he's real i believe he's alive so are his uh uh, forces or his force however you want to word that but there are spiritual forces of darkness that want to destroy us and i think we need to know this. We need to be aware of it. Again, Paul um, talks about, I think it's in, in Corinthians, he says, we, you know, talks about not being unaware of Satan's devices or his schemes. And I think a lot of people in this fear of the unforgivable sin don't take this reality into account. Look at this. It's because of, in Lamentations 3, it's because, again, this is because of sin, because of Israel's sin that they're in this situation. But they are playing to God for help, crying out to him for mercy. And in response, God is saying, do not fear. But what, how does the enemy, the enemy of our souls, how does Satan respond when we are in these times? Uh, whether it's discipline or judgment from the Lord, whether it's you know being caught up in this, fear and condemnation of sin, Satan responds. He sees that as an opportunity to plot against us, plot. Th- this All these, these words um, suggest or imply like this, this devoted sort of plan, focused plan to utilize this moment to further... Again, drive the stake into Israel. So Israel was um, in the the flesh and blood level. Israel was handed over to captivity, and now they have all these enemies who were rejoicing at their destruction. They were taunting them. They were they were as Israel was in this horrible place. Uh, they, they had enemies who were plotting against them to further solidify their destruction. Their their lips and their thoughts were against them. It says all day long um, and then right here it says behold they're they're sitting and they're rising. What I think this is saying is that they get up <laughs> they or they sit down to to plot and to plan and they rise up to attack and to carry out those plans and destroy so it's is if he's saying the whole purpose of their day is devoted to, um, the reason they sit down is to plot and the reason they rise up is to carry out those plots. That's, that's the whole focus of their their whole day. All day long, that's all they wanna do is to do all that they can do to destroy you when you're in that situation, to, to further convince you of your condemnation, to further convince you of the impossibility of your your repentance or salvation, to further convince you that God wants nothing to do with you. That is the goal of our enemy, our adversary, all these ways he's described. Satan has come, I think Jesus communicates in the Gospel of John, to kill, to steal, and to destroy. And I think that's something, this is something that we need to consider. I think it's something that we can um, learn here from Lamentations, and we, and we need to remember, be aware of Satan's schemes and all of this, that he. He's after us, and this isn't something we need to be afraid of. It's just when we're aware of it, we can remember. Um, I think it's, it's we need to be aware that we have an enemy in order to combat our enemy. And the way we do that, I think a great place to go is Ephesians 6, where we, in essence, we put on Christ. We put on the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. Put on the helmet of salvation, which is Christ himself, the knowledge that he has fully, again, he's able to save to the uttermost anybody who draws near to him. Put that hope of salvation on your head, the shield of faith that we, I think you go back to Lamentations uh, verse 21 through 33, where, where Jeremiah moves into this but moment, this but this I call to mind. That That's Jeremiah holding up this shield of faith where he has all these flaming darts of, of fear and condemnation coming from, from, the enemy from the spiritual forces of darkness, he holds up that shield of faith and he calls to mind, what he calls to mind is truth about God, about his character and about who he is. And, and so again, yeah, Ephesians 6, that's that's how we, we can combat this uh, enemy of our souls who wants to destroy us. So finally, uh, grab onto a promise of God that speaks hope to you instead of condemnation. Uh, James says that mercy triumphs over judgment. God's mercy triumphs over judgment. God is more interested in, in, in doing what needs to be done to redeem and restore you than he is to destroy you. And if you are willing to come to him, then what he wants to do in your life is to bring mercy that will triumph over the judgment that you might uh, deserve. The Lord redeems his servants and none, this is a faith here, none who take refuge in him will be condemned. Psalm 34, two, no one who takes refuge in God. If you are in the middle of whatever you're in, but you're, you're you know the, the, the darkness that you're in, you're letting that push you to take refuge in God, you're taking refuge in him, then you will not be condemned. That's your pr- the promise of God. Uh, Isaiah 55, let the wicked man forsake his own way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he ha- may have compassion and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's thoughts about your situation, the thoughts that you have about it's hopeless, it's impossible, those aren't God's thoughts. Okay, his thoughts are higher, they're better, they, they're, they make a lot more sense, um, they'll bring a lot more clarity. And so what you need to pursue and ask God for is that he would give you his thoughts that are higher than yours, that are higher and better than these thoughts of condemnation that you're feeling. Last scripture, I'm going to end with this, but but again, the goal of this was just to give you some scriptures. I'm just trying to kind of pile on scripture after scripture that I think gives us overwhelming support that there isn't this case or condition you can find yourself in where that you want hope, you want salvation, you want restoration, but It's not available. God isn't making it available to you. Um, I don't think you find that in the scriptures. I think all these tell a different story. And so I'm trying to give scriptures to hopefully encourage those of you who feel stuck in that sort of uh, mindset. And this last one, this one has been hugely impactful um, in my life, Micah 7, 7 through 10. And again, I'm gonna close this video with this. But as for me, I will look to the Lord I will look. These are actions of faith. He's going to look to the Lord. He's gonna he says, I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. He's trusting in the faithfulness and character of God. Then he says, Rejoice not over me. Rejoice not over me, O my enemy. Who's the enemy? He's referencing, again, he's referencing. Uh, let's just summarize it by saying the devil. But uh, obviously, again, it's spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places, not always just the devil involved. Um, so, rejoice not over me, O my enemy. When I fall, I shall rise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord will be a light to me. So it's not that we might not, f- we're never going to fall. This isn't that we're never going to find ourselves in darkness actually this is inspired scripture by by a saint of god who was presently writing this seemingly in a place of being having fallen but knowing that because of god's faithfulness he would rise again this is somebody who was in darkness he was sitting in darkness but knew by faith that in that time the lord would be a light to him the goodness of God would be like a light shining to give hope and to give confidence that he would come through to the other side. So it's not that as a follower of Jesus, you're never gonna fall or you're never gonna find yourself in darkness. Um, Actually, you very well may, but when you do, by faith, you can say, the Lord will be a light to you in that time. Now listen to this. He says in verse nine, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him. So this this is the result of sin. I have sinned against him. That is why, why. Why is he right now? Why is he in this darkness? Why is he in this darkness? Well, because he fell. What caused him to fall? His sin. It was because he sinned that he was now in darkness. So again, dark, sin does have consequences, but I, this should be encouraging to us, because we're seeing this from saints, a saint of God, prophet of God, writing scripture, and I think again he's speaking, he's speaking prophetically as uh, Israel. But but our sin, our failures, the greatest failures, even the ones that cause us to go into a place of darkness doesn't disqualify us from God's redemption. Even in that time, we can know that the Lord can still in that time be a light to me because of how great his mercy is, because he is a God of forgiveness and mercy. He says, I will bear the indignation of the Lord because I have sinned against him until he pleads my cause, until. So until he's saying, I'm going to stay with God until. He's, He's waiting on the Lord, waiting until. God acts. First Peter, I think it's the end, chapter five, maybe he says, humble yourself before the Lord, and He will exalt you in due time. So humble yourself before the Lord until He pleads your cause in due time, at the right time. God knows the right time to bring us out of darkness. He knows when. He knows how long we need and how long um, we need to stay in there. It, it's like the, uh, a baker who knows exactly how long the bread needs, needs to stay in the oven. God, with all of this, even if it's a result of your sin, wants to do a refining work in you. Even if it's a result of your sin that you found yourself in darkness. God's purposes, the Bible is clear over and over, God's purposes are redemptive. What he wants to do, he wants to even use your time of darkness ultimately to teach you that he is the only light. He is light. And sometimes in order for us to truly learn this truth in a real meaningful way, the only way we can learn that is if we end up in a place of of darkness where we have no other light. And it's only then that we can realize that Jesus is the light. That's when the Lord uh, verse 8, the end of verse 8, becomes a light to us when we're in the darkest times of, of uh, whatever, whatever it is, fill in the blank. It doesn't have to relate directly to the unforgivable sin, but it certainly can. Um, when we're in that, those places of darkness, and we look to the Lord and his goodness, it becomes like the shining light. He's the light that gives us hope. The, the, the power of his grace and the power of what the gospel is all about, the power of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, becomes so much more real, so much more meaningful, so much more sweet to us that that it becomes like light to us. So I will bear, verse 9, I will bear the indignation. Indignation. So we say that, again, there is Judgment. For sin or discipline, however we want to word that. But I, he says, I will bear that indignation, the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him until he pleased my cause and executes judgment for me. Here's a statement of faith and trust in God's goodness. He will bring me out to the light. If you're in darkness, stop, please stop right now and listen to that word, that is the word of God. He will bring me out to the light. Believe that, believe that. That's that's what this walk of faith is all about. It's not about that we never find ourselves in dark situations. It's not about that we never fall. But it's about that when we do fall, we by faith say, he will bring me out. Even if it's my fault, we can still, we can run and boldly, confidently cast ourselves on who God is and say, he will bring me out to the light. He says, I shall look upon his vindication. And then my enemy, the enemy of our souls, my enemy will see. Shame will cover her. Who said to me, "Where is the Lord your God?" Don't we hear that so often? We hear that that taunting sort of question. And this goes back to, um, you know, in Jeremiah uh, or in Lamentations, it talks about the, the the taunts of of the enemies, the enemies of Israel. But for us, I think our spiritual enemy. So. Taunting, we hear this taunting that that can even we can taunt ourselves sometimes, I think. Our own minds can just say, Where is God? Like he's not showing up. Where is he at? He's not going to come through for you. Like, why are you, why are you waiting on him? Why do you why do you still hold on to faith? We hear these taunts. And look at look at how it's saying this is what the devil, I think, for us, the devil will taunt us in this way. He will say, Where's God? Where's God in your situation? Like, why why are you still why are you still praying? Why are you still seeking him in, in the Bible? Why are you still uh, uh, holding on to any amount of faith? Like, just, just give up. Like, you're Obviously, God's not here. These are the, the words. These are the things that the enemy of our souls will taunt us with and communicate to us. Again, kicking us while we're down, while we're at a low spot. That's his favorite time to come in and, and to have a heyday with us. But... Um, by faith, the prophet, uh, again, I think Israel prophetically is saying, my eyes will look upon her. Now she will be trampled down like the mire of the streets. This this is she, the she is representing the enemies of, of um, the people of God, the enemies who were kicking them while they were down, trying to get them to give up entirely. But they are saying by faith, that God is gonna come through. I will be vindicated, um, and my enemy, my enemy is actually the one who will eventually be trampled down like the mire of the streets. And this reminds me of Romans where Paul says, the, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, is what he says. Soon this enemy, this adversary who's attacking, assaulting you, assaulting your thoughts, and maybe he even has, some good grounds for it. Again, maybe this is because of your sin. And this situation, right, is because of of their sin that they were in this situation. He's acknowledging it, saying, I will bear the indignation of the Lord, verse nine, because I have sinned against him. So even if we have given the enemy some ammunition, um, it's it's still evil that the enemy would come in and just heap that condemnation on us. Again, kicking us while we're down. But ultimately, for those who wait on the Lord, it will be the enemy. Our enemy will be the one who is ultimately trampled down because of Jesus. Colossians two, all the the requirements that were against us, that stand opposed to us and condemn us as having fallen short and failed, says Jesus has nailed those to the cross, and he has disarmed. Says he's disarmed principalities and powers. So. Even though the principalities and powers, the spiritual forces of darkness have might have had legal grounds before the cross, there were some legal grounds uh, because of our sin that they get hold over our heads, but Jesus has nailed that to the cross and he's disarmed them. They have no ammunition anymore. Satan has no ammo if we know the truth. If we really know the truth, then what we should know, will know is that Satan has been disarmed. His weapons are fake. He's pretending to have a gun, but it's not there. Um, and so it's, it's, victory is about coming into a realization of what Jesus has already done and already accomplished for us, realizing that what Satan is throwing at us is just like he's throwing at us uh, like balloons or something, like something that we should just be able to pop because there's nothing to it. There's no substance to it because Jesus has disarmed them. And so for those who wait... The ultimate end of this is that for those who wait, the enemies of our lives, the enemies of our souls will uh, be trampled in the street. The God of peace will soon crush Satan. And so hold on to faith, keep waiting on the Lord. Look at these examples, wait on the Lord, do what Jeremiah did in Lamentations, but this I call to mind, call to mind the goodness, the faithfulness of God. His mercies are new every morning. Wait on him, seek him, continue to trust his promises. And He will bring you out into the light.
0: You have been listening to The Great Light Podcast. To find more information and resources or to watch our films, go to greatlightstudios.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to support this program and partner with the Ministry of Great Light Studios, you can do so through our website. There you can also find both video and audio versions of this podcast.